Blog Talk Radio. Hi, good evening. This is Adriel Hampton, host of Government 2.0 Radio on Blog Talk Radio. I uh, hope you had a good holiday and uh, enjoying the uh, prelude to the new year. Uh, we're on tonight with two uh, fine uh, social media practitioners from Washington State. We have Walter Neary, who is a councilman in Lakewood, uh, Washington. He um, also uh, works for Comcast and is involved with the Open Government West event uh, coming up at the end of January. Also with us tonight, we have Barb Chamberlain. Uh, Barb is a public affairs director for Washington State University and uh, I believe very well known in the social media community. Uh, Walter is on Twitter as WT Neary, N E A R Y, and Barb is there as Barb Chamberlain. And uh, thank you both uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, Barb, uh, I've been talking to Walter uh, for a minute off air. Uh, glad to have you on. Why don't you introduce yourself and, and tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. I'd be happy to. Very pleased to be on with you, Adriel, and with Walt, Walter as well. I'm the Communications and Public Affairs Director at the Spokane campus for Washington State University. We have four campuses, and the main campus is in Pullman. That's where I got my undergrad, so we're going to have some cougar and husky jokes that will be sort of inside for some of us. And I've been at the Spokane campus nearly 12 years as the communications director and doing a lot of community relations work. And when, as a communicator, when new tools come along, you start using them. We all built websites when it was time to build websites. So I've just been learning everything I can about social media and trying to put those tools to use as part of the toolkit for communications for us. And, and what uh, tools have you made part of your toolkit? I know you're, you're pretty active on Twitter. What else are you using? Well, Twitter's been the main one. And what I set out to do first was kind of learn what are the, the cultures in the different social media spaces, how do you use them, how much time do they take, because these are add-ons. They do not yet replace anything else we do as communicators or as anybody who wants to reach out and involve citizens or engage people in a public dialogue of any kind. You don't get to stop sending news releases to reporters and trying to get stuff in the newspaper. You have to keep doing those and then add in social media. So I started reading a lot of great people in the field like Chris Brogan and Beth Cantor who does a lot on nonprofits and that has a lot of applications I think to the public sector, um, primarily the budget limitations. None of us have enough money. And so the primary concern for what I'm trying to do for WSU Spokane is get our identity better recognized as a campus that focuses on the health sciences, both research and education. And in looking at the different spaces, Facebook, you have to know people. They have to be comfortable enough with you to say, yes, I'll be your friend. And um, whether or not you feel like a friend of a university campus or a city or a county or anything else is probably an open question. Twitter, on the other hand, is where you go to find strangers who don't know you yet. And it's very open to that, and it's encouraging of that kind of thing. So Twitter's been our primary effort. I've been doing research and planning to launch a blog that we will start after the first of the year. We do have a Facebook page, I should say. It's WSU Spokane, and we have a few friends. And we'll be working to build that a little bit more. And we've started a YouTube channel. And we have fun stuff to put up there. We have nursing students, for example, who create these crazy videos that help them learn something. Somebody took the cougar fight song and made it into a way to learn the 12 cranial nerves. So our YouTube channel has some very cool stuff. 
And so Walter, before we get into some some questions here, can you introduce yourself? Uh, tell us a little bit about you, and also give give us the story about how you decided to run for city council and became one of the more prominent uh, elected officials in in social media. I think even even being a humble city councilman, I think you're pretty well known uh, in this community. Well, that's kind of you to say, and your timing is good because I just signed on as a fan for Wazoo Spokane here on Facebook, so I'm I'm, I'm the latest fan. I'm already informed by the program. Um, Well, it it began, really, I had been the the newspaper editor in Lakewood, Washington years ago, back when we incorporated in the mid-'90s and uh, got involved in some other things. Uh, as Barb knows, I went to work for Washington, one of Washington's other major universities. Um, and uh, along the line, uh, during that period, I became involved in Lakewood again, uh, interestingly enough, in the Historic Preservation uh, Program. I was the first chairman of the Landmarks Board there. And um, somebody saw me uh, at a city council meeting because I had learned very early on in my reporting career that if you wanted to understand government, you had to understand the budget and the budget discussions. So I was uh, sort of recruited to run for council because uh, there were some people running who were sort of from the anti-everything crowd. And if you're involved in municipal government, you know the anti-everything crowd and that they were uh, very influential at the time. So I became a candidate and won in um, – uh, 2003, um, to my uh, to my great pleasure, and uh, and started uh, to serving. Uh, it, Lakewood does not have a newspaper, so uh, it, it is a suburb of Tacoma, and thus uh, just to communicate with people, I retained essentially my newspaper column, which I had rather cleverly <clears throat> called Neary cited, and uh, so I, I turned that into an email newsletter, and then when blogging became popular, I started blogging, and um, and I don't know if I, I, there are not a lot of us in in city councils who who blog. I think it's partly because you're so darn busy, and I think it's partly because there's a lot of complications to that that we can talk about. But it's been a pleasure to do that, and I've really enjoyed getting involved with Facebook and, and also enjoyed experimenting with Twitter. And is the name of your blog Neary cited, or is it? Uh, yep, I kept. Uh, yes, I, I kept the, the, the I kept the name uh, as Neary cited. It was something I came up with uh, my first day in 1993, I guess it was. Somebody said, "What are you going to call your column?" And, and I, so like a lot of uh, journalists, I simply reached for the worst pun I could think of. So I started the blog uh, originally as sort of a confessional, if you will. I came at it from a, a reporter's background that I thought people would be really interested in. Um, what the thought processes were of, are, are of an elected official. What I discovered, however, was that um, the more I kind of revealed my inner agonies, the more people thought I was not necessarily being decisive. And so I got a lot of really interesting feedback that people didn't necessarily want to know how I got to a place. They wanted to know what my position was so they could agree with it or disagree with it. And once I sort of adopted that, we've progressed to some sometimes some really interesting discussions on the blog. And uh, so I'm seeing for folks who want to check it out, it's at walterneary.blogspot.com. Before we get to some more more intense questions, can you tell us a little bit about this uh, upcoming uh, OpenGov West event, January 29th and 30th? Yeah, OpenGov West, January 29th and 30th, is is designed to be a summit, if you will, for two – two different themes, two different days. 
really the, the brainchild of Sarah Schacht of Knowledge is Power, which is this amazing nonprofit that is taking uh, open government data from the state and, and now from, I believe, the city of Seattle and channeling it and, and using it in ways that uh, citizens can use and elected officials can use and, and uh municipal staff and, and state staff can use. And I think Sarah years ago figured out that there was, a, there was going to be a communications revolution as digital media came along. And so uh, she recently suggested the conference, and I think a whole bunch of us uh, thought that was a really great idea. Um, the uh, Part of the reason I think it, it particularly sprung up in Seattle, not only that's where Sarah's located, but also because uh, both the, especially the Seattle mayor, but also the county executive in, in Seattle's county, King County, were elected um, to, to some extent by, you know, people mobilized by some of the new technologies. So there's a lot of energy, but I think Sarah very much envisions it as something that brings in people that, uh, from British Columbia, from Oregon, from other surrounding states to talk. And so on January 29th, we're going to be having workshops about um, what some of the issues are, bringing together elected officials, the, the IT crowd, the communications crowd, the various other people involved in communicating. Really, everyone who works for a government is involved in communicating at one time or another. They may just not know it. And so we're going to bring those folks together. And then on the 30th, uh, Sarah envisions a, an unconference, un if you will, where it's open to uh, the, the, the voters, the public, to come in and, and essentially drive the program and talk about new ways of communicating about public policy and, and those issues. The, the blog, and, and I can post these links um, on your um, blog radio uh, commentary uh, there, Adriel, so it help, but it's the, the, the um, link there is opengovwest.wordpress.com. Great. And uh, Barb, you uh, have a pass as a local elected too, is that, is that correct? Yes, I do. I served four years in the Idaho State Legislature and then five years on a community college board, which in Idaho is an elected nonpartisan position. That was a and long time ago. That's that when I mail, merged ago. My, I mail merged my own letters and sort of shocked the establishment by wanting to do personalized letters to constituents where I had their name and their address and I knew they cared about you know, the environment or education or something. And I was sending them an update from the session saying, here's what we're working on and here's the bill I sponsored that's in your interest area and I hope you support it and give me a call if you don't and let's talk. And nobody else was doing that. What, and that what was in 1990. Uh, you probably wish you had social media back then, huh? Or somebody to do my mail merge for me at a minimum. But, but yeah, and that was, that was new. That was, um, in the, you know, in the Idaho State Legislature, there's not a lot of funding. There probably still isn't and not a lot of staff, so I really was mail merging my own letters. And just to think of the power of being able to tweet something and say, here's a link to the bill, read it and tell me what you think. The, the openness of that and the accessibility and uh, not staying up late fighting with mail merge too. Absolutely. So um, what are some of the challenges, and either one of you can, can take this, about um, you know trying to do social media at kind of the local level. I, I know that, um, you know, everybody's wrestling with these issues of records retention and people who maybe who don't get it, you're trying to, you know, tell your colleagues. You both have good positions because you have some independence, you know, as a director or as a council person. But at the same time, you know, you, you've got a lot of folks who are watching what you're doing. What, what challenges have you faced and how have you overcome Barb, you want well, to field that, or I can go. I was going to say we're not we're not supposed to let uh, dead air. And now I've got my uh, other window open, Walter, just for people to think about social media. 
Walter and I have a Gmail chat window open, and I wasn't looking at it because I was looking at Twitter where people are tweeting about this too. So if, if I had the two monitors that I have at work, I would have been all over this. Um, you, know, I, you know, I already mentioned time, and I think that's huge. I think public employees and elected officials alike are overworked. And, and I'm not whining as a public employee. I'm just saying we're being asked to do more with less. Nobody ever says it's okay to do less with less. So there's a huge time factor. Then, as I said, you've got to add this into everything else. I bet Walter doesn't get to stop going to public meetings or hearings or anything else just because he has a blog. He still has to show up and put in FaceTime, and so do public employees at all kinds of things. So, so there's the layering effect. Um, I am really lucky in being at this campus for WSU. My chancellor, Brian Pitcher, is very supportive and wants us to be a leader in this. And so that's been great. But I know I have colleagues in other agencies and in other levels of government where they can't even log on to a social network space because, and I'm not picking on IT, but it is IT often as the gatekeeper, has said, no, you can't do that at work because that would be an abuse of public sector resources. And it's an abuse if I'm sitting there chatting with my cousin about what we're buying Uncle Bob for Christmas. But it's not an abuse if I'm posting an update to Facebook where our alumni see it and say, oh, great, you're doing wonderful things at the Spokane campus. I should be more supportive and pay more attention. So I think we're, for quite a while we'll be figuring out where that line is for appropriate use of public resources and public employee time in social networking spaces. And there's, there's just no easy, broad, bright line where you say, okay, this side is okay and that side's not. Yeah, I was doing just a uh, kind of a year review kind of post with some of the links I send out to people who are just getting started in, in kind of official social media efforts. And uh, I think it was Department of Energy kind of updated their uh, IT policy to um, you know, something like minim minimal appropriate use. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the exact language, but basically, you know, a lot of government agencies have these IT policies that are like no, no use of uh, Facebook or or email or Twitter. I mean, they just blanket no. And so when you try to, um, you know, before you even address a proper social media uh, use channel or excuse me policy, you have to address this, uh, you know, n no outside. Um, computer use. And uh, I think that the challenges uh, from a policy front are very basic and, um, and they have to be overcome you know, before we can really uh, have widespread uh, use of new technologies. There's an interesting uh, uh, face to all this that IT, uh, the, the, the info technology people, are suddenly empowered to drive a much healthier democracy. And that's a, at least from an elected official perspective, and I think from their own perspective, that's kind of a new role. I know in, 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 in my town, what IT has traditionally done during the budget season is, is lay low and, and hope nobody questions why we're buying replacement computers because, you know, well, the fact is we have, well, we had until recently a couple of council members who didn't understand why you would ever need a new computer if, you know, the others might be working. Um, and, and so there, the IT has suddenly been brought into a spotlight, and, and I don't know that we were selecting for IT officials before who were 
prepared for that kind of role. I would think it would be really exciting and um, hope it's exciting. If you look at Bill Schreier and some of these folks in Seattle who are doing amazing work in bridging between government and the public, there should be a lot of potential. And one of our reasons for OpenGov West was this notion that we wanted the communications and IT folks to talk to each other so that IT can understand they're almost in a heroic role here because if you can um, increase public confidence and public communication uh, right now, you're doing hero's work in, in digital democracy. So it's an exciting time for them. I think that's a great line. I might uh, go to work and tell my IT directors they're my heroes and we'll, ha we'll have... See, they're not used to hearing that. That's, that's what's oh. so funny about this. Yeah, and I, do, I must say I have great IT staff at our campus and I'm, I'm thrilled they're leaders in what they do as well, so that's lucky. You know, there's a, a piece of this too, and I, Washington State has a law, and I'm not sure how many other states have this, there is a de minimis allowance for personal email. Their recognition is that if you are sending a quick email on your lunch hour and saying, hi mom, how's it going at the assisted living facility, you, you're not stealing from the public. The infrastructure is all there and you are on your own time. So there is a small, small allowance. You could extend that concept and say, okay, social media is kind of the same way. Where I think it gets a lot blurrier is if I go back to how I got good at doing Twitter, it was on barb time, not on campus time. I learned all this stuff on my own time deliberately. Partly if I'm going to make a mistake, I'd rather make it in my name than in my campus's name. And I'm also, I'm just an early adopter. I was doing you know, BBS chat on a 300 baud modem. That will create nostalgic flashbacks for a few. And so it was fun for me, and it came naturally. And I'm kind of a chatty person, so Twitter's a great place for me. If you need to do this because it's part of your job, and it doesn't come naturally, and you're not going to use your af time after work to figure out how to do it, where do you go to learn this? And whose time do you use to learn this? Because you can't just go in there and start broadcasting the way, it's not like buying a print ad, and it had better not be. You need to be a member of the community to build some trust. And so that means what could look like sort of frittering away your time. Talking about, I went for a really cool bike ride today and everybody on Twitter knows it because I just tweeted it. But that's Barb being a human being. And because I've been a human being on Twitter, I can now go back and I can ask questions that I get professional development for free. Because I can ask a question and somebody who charges $250 at a conference to answer my question will tell me on Twitter. And so I just saved the state a bunch of money. But it's only because I spent some cultural time. I, I, I acclimated to that place. So that's, that's a, another one of huge things. That's a great expression about being a human being. And I think that's one of the obstacles for elected officials because you're, you're not really, as an elected official, you're not used to being a human being. You, you have to think of yourself to a certain extent as a product. Uh, you know, the, the, the idea of doing a mail merge, I mean, I would normally avoid doing mail merges. I didn't too, Barb. It brings back flashbacks. That this idea that um, you have to sell yourself. And so a lot of elected officials, for example, are looking on and wondering, well, why the heck should I do that? I, I get votes. I get elected. I see or, or hear or read about elected officials who make mistakes uh, using social media and they get embarrassed. And, and so when I'm, when I'm talking to other elected officials, what I'll, what I'll try to do to build credibility is say, you know, you don't have to do this. I do recommend you listen at least through these channels, uh, but, but you don't have to do this. However, you run the risk that an opponent is going to teach these, these skills to you. And the last thing you want to do is to try to figure out Facebook when your opponent has set up a page and you don't even know how to sign on. So 
uh, yeah, it, it really right now it's the it's the area of the early adopters. If it wasn't for the fact that I worked at, at a university where they cut me some slack, uh, it wasn't for the fact I work at Comcast where we do, of course, a great deal in social media, um, I'd, I'd be at a disadvantage compared to a lot of other elected officials who may wonder, you know, why even go into that space. Yeah. I will, by the way, for people looking for another example, here in Spokane, John Snyder was just elected to city council in November, and he is on Twitter. It's J-O-N-B. S-N-Y-D-E-R, so John B. Snyder, and he is councilmanjohnsnyder.com for his blog. And he's been doing a Tuesday morning quarterback because on Monday nights we have city council meetings, so he'll talk about what happened. And he's also using it to put some information out in advance of council meetings. And this is another area I think maybe if this is how everybody's toe gets in the water, there is, unless you're one of the groupies who shows up at everything, you don't know what's on next week's agenda. You don't know when an issue is coming. And so you always weigh in at the very last minute because that's when you found out. So if we could maybe for those who are a little bit risk averse, just start using it to let people know stuff's coming. They don't even have to let them comment on it. Just, let it, just tell them it's coming. Then you'd have citizens having a little more background when they show up at the angry microphone space and say, I'm so mad you're doing this to us and I don't know anything about it, but I know I'm mad. How can we get the word out more effectively? And if they were signing up for an RSS feed or an email reminder or something, um, might might be a little more civil with the microphone. He does a great job. He's a really good model. I mean, there's a couple uh, of, of council members who really, I think, um, do do fantastic jobs. And and for someone who's brand new at it, it's, he's really scary good. And and he is a good example of that. It's no question that people are most grateful for. I mean, in my experience of doing this, you know, four or five years now, people are most grateful for one of two things: advance information, or uh, a chance to comment or give feedback on something. So Barb is absolutely right. If you can tell somebody about something that's going to be happening in their neighborhood, uh, or if you can ask someone's opinion about budget issues, I mean, people absolutely love that. Uh, there, there's another issue, uh, you know, in, in Washington State when you ask about why we're all, uh, uh, you know, a, a Twitter, if you will, about things like this Open Government West uh, webinar, things like that. Is un unfortunately, Washington is one of the a couple of states that's had some, you know, uh, high court, appellate court, and Supreme Court discussions about metadata and some of the electronic record keeping. So, one issue we've got in Washington State as well are some concerns about the Public Records Act implications of this stuff. So that's another reason that we all need to get together and kind of compare notes. And, yeah, and because if your comments are out there. So, so that uh, it's because of court decisions that you have a little bit uh, more to worry about than some of the people who are just wild westing it. Yeah, I was going to say, but Barb, did you want to say something? Well, I was just going to picking up on that theme that if yeah, if you've created a blog on a free host that's not on a city server, and somebody comments there, are you creating a public record, and who retains those comments, and for how long? Those are the kinds of questions I use backupmytweets.com to back up the WSU Spokane stuff every so often. But I, I guess if I were going to back up Facebook, I'd have to go in and take screenshots and, and save them. And then if somebody else who commented on our Facebook page deletes that comment as is their right, that goes away. So is it still a part of the public record because I have a copy that it was said at one point even though they changed their mind and they got sorry or whatever? Um, there's some, some huge questions in there. I was going to back up a, a point, too, for the ones who are sort of concerned about it. Um, email is another social media tool, and it's old now, so we forget to include it in the list. But if you told people, well, you can't respond to emails, we'd all 
hear screams from the citizens and the staff alike and the elected officials. So if we say, this is, this is email taking another step. I did some measurement of when we were trying to get people engaged with our campus master plan update in spring, and I measured everything. Every place that I put out a notice about the master plan workshops that were coming up, I put a trackable click-through. And so I know that the best thing I did was send emails to people that I knew who were in my contact list or our faculty and staff and had links to everything. That got the highest click-through rate of everything I did on the first round. So if we can keep thinking of it as a continuum, I think that will help as well. But that records retention piece, it's pretty easy to say, okay, email, if you're the sender and it's a policy question, you keep a copy. But the the, the place that it went, went south, Adriel, was uh, in, a, in a community uh, in, in Washington State uh, called Shoreline. And what happened was is a person – oh, I'm sorry. You want to say something? No, no, go ahead. Um, in Shoreline, as someone who's no longer on the city council, uh, was requested to produce an email – uh, that they had received on a personal account. They took some of the information off the, the from field, forwarded the email to the city, and uh, the city produced that as part of a Public Records Act request. And, and what this eventually became is a case that's now in front of the Supreme Court that could have a lot of uh, impact and has created a certain amount of nervousness among local governments in Washington State. What, not to you know, turn this into a commercial, but also on January 7th, the assistant attorney uh, in, in Everett and I are doing a webinar for the Association of Washington Cities about the state of kind of social media law in Washington because there's a very heightened sensitivity here. There's a very real penalty in Washington State if you violate the Public Records Act, which is good because otherwise governments ignore it. I mean, look at the federal... Uh, Freedom of Information Act. But the, the penalty here can be anywhere from $5 to $100 a day per record. If you think about something like uh, Twitter or Facebook comments, you start to do some math in your head. And there are people making a, who could make uh, a pretty good living um, just finding Washington cities in violation of Public Records Act issues. So, uh, in fact, the Tacoma News Tribune, I believe, will have a story about that tomorrow in the near future about some cases in Washington. So there are reasons in Washington we're particularly sensitive to that. And that backs up to where we started, which was that's one reason I think IT people are a little sensitive is that you know, one of the grails of IT is you don't want to you know, get your city sued. Where, where can folks uh, tune into that webinar? Um, what you could probably the easiest thing to do would be to Google the Association of Washington Cities, and right on their uh, website is a uh, uh, I think it's called Friends Faux Pas Tweets and Traps. Its uh, name came from uh, Councilman Don Anderson in Lakewood. We've had a couple of instances in in uh, Washington State where people got a little bit embarrassed. Uh, one of them was a uh, some council members who were conversing via Facebook, if I remember the information during a meeting, and another was a case where it was believed that a council member had tweeted from an illegal meeting. It turned out that actually there were just a bunch of council members in different parts of a room, but um, people leaped to a conclusion and led to an enormous amount of embarrassment. And then I managed to make the front page of the local paper when I blogged during a meeting, which I learned folks did not like for what I realize now is good reasons. So um, that's why we have that little bit of a dramatic title is to kind of wake everybody up that there are some legal issues involving use of social media, and you really want to be aware of them, particularly if you just got elected and you got a Facebook page and you got other council people on your Facebook page. You have to be very careful not to create legal liability or you know, break the law. 
I'd say and we uh, also have elected officials. Go ahead, Barbara. I'm sorry. Oh, I thought I hit the off button on the cell phone. Um, and we also have elected officials who are doing a, a good job so far. And, I, and, you know, without ruling on whether there are legal nuances, I don't know. The one who comes to mind, or two actually in my area, are Senator Lisa Brown and Senator Chris Marr. And Chris in particular makes videos, puts them out as part of an email newsletter you can subscribe for. He puts them up on his Facebook page. He's got a zillion friends. I think he's very conscious when he's on Facebook that he's public because anybody can send him a message and he'll accept you as a friend. So the cool part about it is you do get to know him better as a person, back to that human being theme, that it's kind of an all-around thing. But I, I think that's another thing that's going to happen, um, and I will freely confess that when I am in a social media space, I am very conscious that if my name's in the newspaper, it is usually as spokeswoman for Washington State University Spokane. I don't get to turn that off. And so if I'm having a bad day, I mostly don't tweet about it. I mostly don't put it on Facebook. I have reporters as friends on Facebook. And so they would never get a story lead from me on Facebook, just so they know that. Um, that would be really bad. I would be doing a bad job if I spilled my guts. So there's a certain amount of self-censoring that goes on, at least for me. One of the reasons for OpenGovWest is to share, you know, the happy stories, because it's kind of like a lot of things. You don't necessarily hear about, you know, the happy stories. Um, I, you know, I, I got sold on blogging two, three years ago when uh, I was at a uh, summer event, uh, a festival, if you will, and uh, people, uh, people started walking up, people I didn't know, saying, thanks for the blog, and then they'd like disappear, and I'd get up, oh, you know, introduce myself, and all they wanted to do was thank me for the blog, and that was it. They didn't want to you know, meet the politician. They didn't want to get in a mesh or get in a database. They just appreciated the information. And I, there's all these success stories of great dialogue that you don't necessarily hear about. Instead, you might hear about you know, people getting into trouble because they tweeted during the president's speech uh, or, or something like that. And, and so we're hoping that some of these workshops give us a chance to, to compare best practices and, and share information. Absolutely. And so you had a really big event in Lakewood, a real tragedy uh, number of, uh, was it four police officers? Were yeah, four, four police officers killed um, without warning and totally randomly by a, by a lunatic. That, that, was, that was quite the amazing uh, event. And I understand, I, I actually, I believe I found out about it first from uh, either from Twitter at large or maybe from your own uh, account there. And uh, I understand there were some some good stories about how social media was used in that event, not only to uh, let people know what was going on, but also to accept you know people's uh, condolences and let the community interact with um, with the officials. There was an amazing amount of sharing. I mean, it, it began with and. and uh, it, it's become, of course, the, the centerpiece of stories that you want to tell about um, why it's important as an elected official or even someone who cares about you know, your community to, to be on Twitter and listening. I mean, I found out, I'm pretty sure I was the first council member to know about this because I happened to be up on a Sunday morning. I had the paper there. I fired up Twitter to see what was going on, and I saw that a couple of uh, folks who had been, I believe, listening to a scanner said that four officers in Lakewood had been killed. And that was just so 
bizarre. I just said, oh, it must be another Lakewood because there are a lot of them. And then I kept looking at Twitter and finally, you know, realized what had happened. And so when the newspaper called me for a reaction, I, I wasn't caught by surprise. I knew about it. Um, what, I, what I'm telling elected officials now is that when your city has a real crisis, uh, assuming there's you know electric, electricity, when your city has a real crisis, Twitter became for us a, a chief form of communication. Our um, our police department essentially lost you know four percent, five percent of their staffing. Um, if you think about where you work and losing four or five percent of that number, it's huge. Uh, uh, agony and and people were really focused. Uh, the police chief was very focused on the families, on the suffering of the officers uh, who weren't there, uh, on on the families of the deceased, and also the families who've wondered, my gosh, what's my spouse doing for a living? And so uh, the the police chief didn't have to make a statement to. Uh, uh, the media that day, people through the social media, through television and radio, all talking to each other, uh, were figuring out that this was a huge tragedy and, and there were these discussions going on. And it reverberates. I mean, if you go to Twitter now, there's people talking about fundraisers. I think there's one in Seattle tonight, uh, uh, fundraisers for for the families. Uh, it, it's been an amazing um, – you don't want to use the word success in this context, but it, it, it's – if there's something good that came out of this, it was, you know, an appreciation of life, an appreciation that people sacrifice, and, and we need to be aware of that and, and treasure life and, and treasure people while they're still here. It's been an amazing, uh, amazing story. You know, if I could expand on that a bit, Adriel, and take it in a, in a different direction and, and first say that I think all of Washington was watching Lakewood and feeling for you and what had happened. For me as a communications director, we go through all kinds of training for incident response. And last week, I went through a two-hour pretend we have a bomb scare exercise, tabletop exercise. You know, somebody phones the human resources department and says, I'm really upset, and I planted a bomb outside a brick building. Well, we're higher ed. All of our buildings are brick. And what do you do next? And in thinking through how I would handle communications, First, we have to deal with internal. Do you evacuate or not evacuate? There's all kinds of things about that. But one of the things I did realize is I wasn't going to tweet anything about evacuating because I don't know how many faculty and staff I actually have following our Twitter account. I know I have reporters following it. That was my goal to begin with. And so I have plenty of local media. I would be alerting them to an incident in real time if I used social media to tell my own people. So. You know, I think that's sort of the, the dark side of it is it's going to go places you didn't mean for it to go as well as the places you do want it to go. So we'll have to keep thinking through that. At some point, I probably would have enough faculty, staff, and students that we would we'd have sort of a filter and we'd say, is it, is it time to tweet this one? Is it time to put this one on Facebook? Is that the best way to reach people? Kids are on mobile phones all the time. Text mess We have an, a text message alert system that actually is what we would use to trigger a full-scale evacuation if we had to because that will reach them. But um, there's, there's some of, there are some times when we should not use it. And I'm thinking, too, in an incident like that, um, like what happened in Lakewood, what if they had all the names wrong and they're saying, naming names and saying these are the people and they weren't? Or even if they, they have the right names and they're the ones announcing it to the world and possibly to the families that this is what has happened. Yeah, there was a, it was interesting, of course, there was a lot of social media following. The Seattle Times was famous for opening up a, a Google Wave uh, uh, discussion about where the, the uh, I don't really want to call him a suspect, but where the gunman was, and there was almost a, 
uh, a Where's Waldo thing going on in Seattle as he was, you know, spotted in 30 different places at once. And it was confusing and chaotic and anarchic, but it was kind of a great sharing of information in, in, in another sense. And I think Barb's point about when you're in a crisis, it's, it's really this could be something that helps you. It could be something that hurts you. I go back to that other university when I worked there uh, in media relations. We had a, a murder-suicide uh, at, at the UW, um, and it was very difficult because while we were still trying to figure out what had happened, the TV cameras were already interviewing people complaining that the university wasn't giving them any information. And the idea that with one tweet we might have been able to say, uh, hey, you know, um, we don't think uh, it's a dangerous situation or something like that would have been really helpful. And yet the ability to say the wrong thing could have caused panic or disruption or whatever. And I think, again, that steps back to an issue that elected officials are worried about, that if you don't have a background in communications, like Barbara, I necessarily have, you know, do you really want to be going in, do you really want to be communicating to the world without an editor? I think you're going to have to as, as politics evolves, but right now I think there are a lot of people who are a little bit dubious about doing that. And you at least have to have decision makers available 24-7. If you're not the right one to respond, who is? And decision makers and communicators, if that's how you're going to channel it. And I'm thinking about, in higher ed circles, the infamous um, video, you don't tase me, bro, during uh, presidential election um, appearance at University of Florida. And within 20 minutes, video of that was on YouTube, and AP and UPI were calling the university. And so there's no time to get everybody in a room and have a long discussion about message points. You're on air. And so the time frames have all collapsed to the speed of a text message. The, the good thing, though, you know, as I look back to things that would have been different, I mean, it was only a few years ago that we had a, a councilman in Lakewood who very seriously maintained that we should not give um, social services funding to groups that serve gay people. And um, nobody knows about this because there's no media in Lakewood. Um, needless to say, uh, a few years ago, you know, through blogs or, or Twitter, you might have made the point, and I suspect that it would have caused a little bit of a Twitter storm if, you know, it, it was known that this fellow was taking a, a position that's hopefully somewhat unusual and considered somewhat primitive. Um, and, and I wish we had had the tool to, to have that discussion earlier. I mean, it, it is going to be painful, and there's going to be enormous amounts of misinformation shared, but at the end of the day, it leads to a, a more transparent um, sharing of government, and that's good. Yeah. And back to the, the need for people to at least have the access to the tool to monitor, even if they don't engage, even if not, you're not ready to set up an account. Actually, I would argue that everybody should set up their accounts in these spaces to own the name because if you don't, somebody else will and it's not official. And so you'll have, we have in fact, there's a Twitter account that's the fake Mary Verner and Mary Verner is our mayor. And somebody set up a Twitter account pretty early. Um, considering you know, how Twitter has moved through the population, I'm surprised that almost a year ago somebody was already faking an elected official. So you're going to want to own your names and then you're going to want to at least be running some you know, Google alerts and things like that to see what's being said about your agency or your town or your whatever it is to know so that if angry citizens are planning to show up with the flaming torches and the pitchforks at a planning and zoning hearing, then somebody should know that before it happens. I remember that, and that was horrible. What, whatever happened to that fake account? You know, I don't know. I can pop over and look while we talk. Um, uh, yeah, now, you know, Twitter introduced the, the verified account thing, so that probably takes care of it. 
I, although if it said, was it the fake Mary Verner or was it her real name and it was not her? It, it said fake in the name of the account, which I thought was pretty funny. Oh, it's still there. It has 20 followers and it uses a picture of her because, of course, she's a, a public official. Um, hmm, yeah. It's pretty funny, actually, as I read it, but it's definitely not Mary. That, that does lead to another concern that a lot of elected officials have about particularly blogging, and it comes from the newspaper blogs and, and other blogs where uh, there's a lot of anonymous commenting. But you'll get um, folks who will comment and, and not necessarily discuss their entire reasons for taking the positions that they take or share all the information that they should, which is, of course, an accusation made of politicians pretty often, too. But um, particularly in an anonymous commenting world, you'll get um, awkward situations where, for example, someone who you may know to be uh, a lunatic will be making allegations, and, and on a computer screen, they look perfectly normal and fine. But um, you have to actually kind of know the context of the community. And that's a, that's a difficult one because everybody has a right to comment and everyone's comment should be considered. But for people who are deeply involved in the politics, it can be very frustrating when someone who has a lot of issues or background they don't bring to the table isn't fully forthcoming. And so that's another reason I think people sometimes tie up and, and choose not to get involved. Um, and Walter, speaking of, you know, the anonymous commenting on on blogs what would you do or how would you handle it and maybe this will come up in your webinar if someone was uh, you know spoofing writing multiple uh messages from with different names from the same ip address you know, I think, and I've seen that dealt with in other cities, I think one of the things that Ramsey Rammerman, who is the co-presenter on the webinar on January 7th, will suggest is that your community really should have a policy so that, for example, um, you can remove spam. I mean, right now, uh, I've got a Facebook council page. Uh, it does not have a, a policy attached to it. Um, I, you know, my city doesn't have one, and I've chosen to sort of pioneer a a Facebook page, if someone started to uh, fill it with spam, they would argue that they had a First Amendment right to do so. And my defense to that, I'm not a lawyer, I'm, I'm, the way I understand it is, is that if I have a defensible policy, I can, I can you know, remove something like spam. What I'm going to do when someone with a history of mental illness starts filling that Facebook page with comments about how I brain, we have a guy in Lakewood who thinks our Lakewood Council you know, helps Al-Qaeda. Um, what's going to happen when he gets on Facebook and starts saying that? I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to point people to a fun uh, and very useful resource. It's the Air Force Web Posting Response Assessment. And I found this through Twitter. And this is a year old. I don't know if they've updated it since then. But if you go to globalnerdy.com, they have a post from December 30th of the year ago, the Air Force Rules of Engagement for Blogging. And they run through a very sweet little series of steps you know, like web posting. Somebody found something. Is it positive or balanced? Yes. Okay, then you've got, you know, that tree. If, if no, it's not positive or balanced, um, first question is, is it trolls? Is this a site dedicated to bashing and degrading others? And if it is, they monitor. They don't respond to trolls. If it's a rager, um, they don't respond to that. If it's misguided, they fix the facts. If it's an unhappy customer, they deal with it. So they've got a whole set of response considerations that they go through. And yeah, I think this kind of thing is a resources out there. Yeah, it's a that's, great that's model. A nice resource. So that's yeah. a nice resource. What I, what I did with my own blog um, was I, I was allowing uh, 
anonymous comments, and uh, we had a very contentious issue uh, in town regarding uh, gambling, and uh, it was just getting comments that were more insults than anything else. So I, I switched it around that, uh, in theory, you would have to provide a name, and of course what people do is usually provide a first name or whatever, but it is interesting that it really improved the quality of the discussion, and by that, it sort of stayed pertinent. Um, so that I've, we've had some, I wouldn't call the blog a, you know, a thriving town hall. I think most, if you, if you look at most city council members' blogs, they're providing the information like Barb was talking about. They're not really designed to be a town hall. But every so often we'll get these really good neighborhood discussions where neighborhoods will compare notes, and I think it's partly because um, we at least encourage people to use names. This is what excites me about Facebook because it's not anonymous, at least it, it, unless you're abusing Facebook. And it's, uh, it's a great way to have some, some really nice dialogues. Yeah, I think that uh, Facebook really, for you know, all the things some of us don't like about it, like Farmville, uh, has done a real service to the web community by creating these semi-verified identities and it's moved people even on things like Twitter to be more uh, uh, likely to use their real name. And it's, I think it's really changed the tone from like the days of AOL. Within a few uh, hours, there were, I want to say, four Facebook groups uh, in, in memory and commemoration of the, the Lakewood police officers. And they, uh, several of them have tens of thousands of fans. One of them, I think, has a couple hundred thousand fans. And people shared. Um, it's very powerful. Uh, it's something really profound that transcends government issues, really. It, it becomes, you know, a better human contact, and it's, it's really fascinating to, to, to see. Uh, you know, we, many of us who are involved in the whole Lakewood situation often describe it as, in a variation of, this is the most amazing thing you never want to go through again. Uh, you're always just seeing some new aspect of human nature. But the, the Facebook pages were a bit of a, a surprise to me that there were so many and, and all sharing everything from information about fundraisers to having met one of the officers at one point or thoughts about officers in their communities. It's, it's really been powerful. And um, I, I, I almost always do this now. I didn't uh, give you enough time for the sign-off, and we're off air. Um, but I think your, your complete comment made it there, Walter. I want to thank you both uh, so much for joining us and wish you a happy uh, 2010. And um, God bless the Lakewood as it continues to uh, recover. Well, thank, thank you. <laughs> Our next, and, and thank you for doing this program. It really is important for people to talk to each other. I th the big challenge for Lakewood now um, is how to commemorate. And well, first of all, I, th there is a group that's raised uh, a lot of money to, uh, with the help of a number of organizations and people, to, to take care of the kids at least financially, and, and that's really very well along. Uh, I, have, I know some board members of that, and they're all amazing people, and I think that's going to be probably in good shape. The, the big challenge next will probably be how to memorialize this, what kind of you know, um, memorial do you do for something this unique, and, and I'm, I think that will be a fascinating test of us. Walter, um, people, they, we're off the air, but it's still recording for the, um, for the repeats. How can folks find out if they wanted to contribute to that fund or find out what's going on with, with that? The best, the, if, you, if you Google the Lakewood Police Independent Guild, um, let me double check that. I don't have, I think it's lpig.us. 
Um, but they are the central repository for the contributions, which is good. I actually blogged about why the Guild had a history of charitable contributions. Yeah, it's um, www.lpig.us. I got a big charge out of the LPIG piece. Um, the, uh, the, the, the Guild is, is a wonderful group of folks who have already been doing benevolent activities and raising money. So I did a blog post about their history of that, and I, have, I never got any comments on that blog post, but I did get uh, one of my sort of regular friends came by and said he'd read it, and it had contributed to his confidence in giving them money. So it's kind of one of those things where sometimes you don't know that your blog has any readers or influence, but it, but it worked out. But anyway, there were, and all sorts of people showed up to raise money, and, and I'm sure 99% of them were, were honest and legit, but we were just working hard to kind of funnel everything through uh, LP, the, the Police Independent Guild. And um, the last I'd heard, I think we were at like 1.2 million or something like that. I mean, it's, it's just been amazing. Wow. Well, thank you, Walter, and uh, have a great event at the end of this month, and I'm sure we'll uh, stay in touch on Twitter and talk to you again in the near future. It was fun talking to Barb, too. Yeah. Barbara, just, thank you, know, you very much. Oh, you're welcome. I'm hoping I can make it to the OpenGov West. I'm using some travel budget for a thing in February, so I don't know what's left, and we'll there's going to be clawbacks. So this is one of our challenges. I'm, you know, getting getting the okay because taxpayers ask very hard questions about where you're traveling to and why. And I think that's one of the challenges is getting people to compare notes in this in this realm. You know, and I just I was talking to a colleague in the public sector here who was going to a professional develop, development conference, completely legit, and you know, no question that it was an appropriate use of taxpayer dollars and her time to be on the road going to this trip. And the person, another person from the same agency going with her posted on Facebook, oh, we're heading out to the conference. Has a friend who's a reporter who immediately said, supposedly tongue-in-cheek, oh, it sounds like a boondoggle to me. You know, and that's, mm, I just heard yeah. the story this last week, and I went, that's why I don't say some of these things, because I don't want to raise questions. Did you follow that case? There was an interesting case in Portland of a, I think it was an ex-government official who posted something on, on their Facebook page, it was quoted in the paper, and their response to it was to unfriend the reporter. Oh, <laughs> this, this is why this is why we have to get people comparing notes. You do have. Well, to and I think it's 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 interesting because in the government context, you know, people are sometimes more open about what's going on or under more scrutiny. Whereas in the you know private sector, there's uh, you know learning conferences or a regular part of the job and then all of a sudden you know someone two percent of their salary is dedicated to to conferences and it's some kind of uh boondoggle so it's kind of yeah. a different standard that we all have to be aware of it, it's it's another reason that you can sort of understand where an it person's coming from when or really anyone for example with facebook I know that obviously you can do some remarkable citizen outreach with Facebook, and I believe Lakewood is planning to have a page if it hasn't already pretty soon. Um, but uh, I, I know at least a couple of our council members, at least the ones who were um, on the council until um, the upcoming uh, session, uh, if they had seen a, a staff person looking at a Facebook page or a YouTube page, I know they would have brought it up on a Monday night. I know they would have. And, the, the sensitivities are sometimes real but frustrating. I'm doing a presentation in, in early January, first week of January, to um, WSU Extension faculty on social media, and we're going to be talking through a bunch of things. And a standard slide I now use to open all of these is a cartoon. It's um, 
the cartoonist or the name of the strip or whatever it is, is Noise to Signal, and it's a woman who's looking at her empty desk with nothing but crumbs, and the guy's hauling away her big old computer saying, oh, management says it's got to go, might be used to access Facebook. <laughs> All right, you guys, I'm going to go ahead and, and do the sign-off here. Um, and, thank you. Uh, again, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, next week on GovTO Radio, uh, Sunday night, uh, we'll be having a special show about uh, government in Second Life, and we'll be talking to feds and locals with extensive experience in that uh, social network, if, if you want to call it that. Um, and it'll be fascinating uh, for me, and I hope uh, for the rest of the audience as well. Uh, everyone, uh, thanks for being with us in 2009, and uh, have a happy new year, and we'll be back next Sunday. Good night. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you.